the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science, produced by Bakerpedia, the world's largest online depository of technical baking information. Bakerpedia is an online resource for commercial bakers made free by our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by International Baking Industry Exposition, or IBIE. IBIE delivers a world of benefits for the baking industry in one streamlined event. Every three years, you have a powerful opportunity to discover the latest trends and innovations, connect with colleagues, and exchange ideas with top baking and business professionals. This year, IBIE is on September 7th to the 11th. Come, join me in Las Vegas to capitalize on the big opportunities only found at IBIE. Go to IBIE. 2019.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Lin, and I'm presenting this episode to you from the podcast series, My Food Job Rocks, hosted by Adam Yee. In this exciting episode, Adam interviews Tom Mastrobny, CFO of Tyson Venture, and reveals why and how Tyson gets ahead innovatively by investing in up-and-coming technologies and companies. I hope you enjoyed this engaging interview as much as I did. Take it away, Adam. Why does your food job rock? I'll tell people, uh, so Justin and I were at a conference at the Global Corporate Venturing Summit uh, out in California a few weeks ago. And I was sitting at a table during a break, pounding out a presentation, and Justin came out from behind me. He's like, he's like, I, I got to tell you, you got a pretty cool job. <laughs> I said, okay, thanks, boss. He said, I know it sounds a little weird having your boss tell you you have an awesome job, but you really do. And I told him, I do. You know, I get to help be, a, I get to be a part of the team that's helping to shape the future of an iconic American brand from the inside out, right? Um, and I'm empowered to do that. Welcome to the My Food Job Rocks podcast, a weekly podcast where you interview experts in the food industry and hear about their path to success, their insights on new trends and technologies, and their love of food. I'm your host, Adam Yee, and you'll see episode 119 with Tom Masterboni, Chief Financial Officer at Tyson Ventures. I'm sure you've heard a lot about Tyson Foods investing in a lot of cutting-edge technology and companies. For example, Beyond Meat, Memphis Meat, and Tovala, to name a few. I wanted to get to the bottom of this, so I asked Tom to talk about the many reasons why Tyson is putting a stake into these companies. His answer surprised me. To get ahead and be truly innovative, Tyson knows it has to be invested in these up-and-coming companies. So now they have kind of, they're slowly reinventing themselves into kind of a new company that is on the cutting edge. And I think this is really exciting. And throughout this whole interview, you'll find out why. Um, I learned the complexities of why it's a win-win situation for companies to partner with Tyson. For one, Tyson has a huge array of resources all over the world to help any food company out. 
And the new food companies are just so innovative that they can just, all they have to do is really innovate and Tyson will give them a helping hand. One of the most valuable things in this interview is talking with Tom about the newest trends. Because Tom is at the cutting edge of the industry, I asked for his opinion on plant-based foods, clean meat, artificial intelligence, and blockchain, among others. If you want to know the hottest and most game-changing technologies and where they are right now, this is the episode you should be listening to. I hope it inspires you to think big. This episode is brought to you by Bakerpedia, the world's largest digital resource that answers all of your questions about ingredients, processes, and FDA guidelines. Bakerpedia.com. Shared knowledge, freely available, always. This episode is sponsored by Foodgrads. Foodgrads will be offering a special deal on the months of April and May, and this is free job posting. So if you have a vacant position and you need to find a passionate young graduate, please email Nicole at foodgrads.com for instructions on putting your job posting on their website. There's a huge community on Foodgrads filled with passionate young food scientists and food industry specialists. And if you would want, you know, just kind of a breath of fresh air in your company, I highly suggest looking into these people. Invest in the future of food. So I listened to your, your podcast with Michael Wolf, and I actually just met him at the Fancy Food Show in San Francisco. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. Uh huh. Yeah. So definitely, definitely want to tap into some things that, that was said into that one. Yeah, but but we also want to know kind of who you are a bit. Uh, how do we get to your level? I, I think the main goal I like to tell people about the podcast is like, how do I get people excited about your job? But okay. You, I know, but like, it, it <laughs> your job just sounds so cool right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you like airplanes, I have a great job. <laughs> If you don't like heights, it sucks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, uh, do you have any airplane travel tips before we begin? No, oh. not really. Oh. Um, I, I, I made the decision yesterday to give up an economy plus middle seat for an aisle seat uh-huh. in the back. That's yeah. probably the best decision I ever made. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. It was. Being stuck in the middle on a five-hour flight. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh. <laughs> I don't care how much leg room you got. <laughs> All right. Well, good to know that air travel doesn't get any better. So, No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, thank you for being on the show. I mean, it's really an honor to, to talk to someone at Tyson, which there's so much buzz going on about, mainly about what they're investing in. They're investing in a lot of things. Nope. I would say no meat company would dare to invest in, I feel. Uh, and whether that's a change in the industry or not, it's it's really exciting to see big players like Tyson invest into things that are not meat or, or fake meat or, you know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's it's just really cool. And I have a question for you, though. When someone asks what you do for a living, what do you tell them in a sentence or less? In a sentence or less, I tell them that I help run the venture capital arm for Tyson Foods, and we're reshaping Tyson into a modern food company from its traditional roots as a as a as a meat business. Hmm. So, what kind of stimulated that change? Uh, you know, it, it really came out of consumer demand. At the end of the day, we're a consumer focused business. Whether it's the products that we sell through our retail channels and our club stores or our food service and into the QSR and fast casual channels that we sell into. 
at the end of the day, if we're not producing products that delight customers' appetites and palates, then we're in the wrong business. So I think what it really came down to was shifting consumer demand, shifting diets and appetites, and what can Tyson do to keep up with that pace of change. Hmm. Do you know how old Tyson is? Over 80 years old. Okay, he was okay. founded back in 1935, mm-hmm. but don't quote me on that on that number. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> somebody so, out there with, with somebody out there with the Google is gonna gonna prove it. All right, they're gonna they're just gonna bash me and tell and tell everyone Tyson's a sham or something because it's. <laughs> <laughs> we are not a fly by night operation. We have 122,000 team members uh, with over 100 locations all around the world, predominantly in the United States, but we do have some international folks that help support our business. We are the largest meat producer in the United States, and but we're, we're much more than meat. We'll also produce 75 million pounds of prepared food on a weekly basis through our Jimmy Dean, Ballpark, Hillshire, and other prepared food brands. Um, so we're, we're in a lot of different channels, uh, a lot of different stores uh, with many products that some folks don't even know we make. We're the second largest producer of tortillas in the United States, for example. Oh. A, lot, a lot of cool facts. I didn't. Even, I had to go through the orientation to actually <laughs> learn. But very cool. Wow, awesome. So is Tyson Ventures more of a, a subset of Tyson? We are. So um, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of Tyson Foods. Uh, we're capitalized off the corporate balance sheet uh, with a mandate to go out and invest in really two core areas. The first is sustainability, uh, which is a which is a huge mandate for the company. And we actually, my partner Reese and I, we actually report into Justin Whitmore, who's the company's chief sustainability officer, as well as uh, executive VP for corporate strategy. Um, so we work very closely on Justin's leadership team uh, with our head of environmental, our head of animal welfare, continuous improvement, and sustainable food strategy, as well as corporate social responsibility. Um, so we have a great opportunity to learn from those folks what initiatives they're working on and how we can be helpful to them. Um, and the second the second pillar we focus on is uh, what we're calling the Internet of Food, which is a great white space for us. And we can get into those uh, a little bit later. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get into those. I definitely want to know your thoughts. So you're labeled as a chief financial officer, right? That's right. What does that mean exactly if you're traveling all over the world? So I'll tell you what it was initially meant to mean. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we could talk about what it's actually morphed into. Which all right. Is, which is much more exciting. Nice. Um, so originally... I was hired with the intent to conduct financial due diligence on the companies we were looking to invest in um, and then post investment to work with the portfolio company management teams to monitor performance against plan uh, and value the portfolio along with uh, Tyson's corporate finance team for our reporting purposes. Um, What the job has morphed into, uh, and it's really exciting for me personally from a career perspective, is an opportunity to work on the sourcing side alongside Reese. And Reese is a really amazing guy. He spent almost his entire career at Motorola uh, Ventures, Motorola Solutions in Chicago. Um, I think he spent about 28 years there, the last half of which he spent running M&A and Ventures for Motorola. So I don't know if you'll find someone who knows more about corporate venturing than you will with Reese. I'm really lucky to be partnered up with him and just sit next to him and learn everything I can from him. I spent a little bit of time in the fundraising world in some previous roles at some private equity and growth equity funds, so learned a little bit about how to pitch to potential investors, and now took those learnings and sort of flipped them around, and now learning how to source deals for Tyson Ventures and and take our mandate and translate that into opportunities, into market mapping, figuring out who the best companies to work work with are. Um, so it's a really exciting turn for me. Reese calls me CFO Plus. Um, <laughs> 
if this keeps up at some point, we may have to figure out a new title for me. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Though. So, so you still do the financials and all that stuff? I do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a we have a small portfolio currently. We have three deals in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, it may go it may go back to the original model, which is perfectly fine with me. I thoroughly enjoy that work as well. But yeah, so so still working closely with uh, with our three portfolio companies to make sure we get the performance information we need and work with the corporate finance team on reporting. Great. Actually, let's go into this a little bit more because I think a lot of young people have a problem of being stuck into a title. And I'm curious about your your expansion into the CFO Plus role. Yeah. Um, is that is that more was that a gap you needed to fill or is that something you wanted to do? It's something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and what com- what it comes down to Adam is is being being able to to work with people. I always tell people that we're in we're in the people business, mm-hmm. honestly. We're in the connecting with entrepreneurs, understanding their passions, gauging their expertise and their skill set and their decision-making capabilities. But at the end of the day, um, to do what, what Reese and I do, you have to be able to connect with people, understand their story, understand what they need to really get to that next level, and then figure out who at your sponsor, whether it's a private equity firm or a corporate venture arm, um, who within those businesses you need to match those folks up with to maximize results. So matchmaking, huh? Yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> you can call it that. Yeah. It's matching opportunities with uh, with capabilities and putting those two those two groups together. Okay. That's interesting. What's kind of a misconception you like to dispel today about? Uh, and and I think this could be kind of open ended, but but about just the this the idea of Tyson investing into other aspects. Yeah, I think the biggest. The myth I like to dispel right away is that if we make an investment in a particular company, that does not signal a paradigm shift for the broader Tyson businesses. Um, what it is indicating to what it should indicate to folks is that Tyson is aware that, as our friend Sue Siegel at G Ventures recently said, you know, change is never going to move slower than it's moving today. And for a company like Tyson, which runs some very large, complex businesses all around the world. We have tremendous team members who do that on a day-to-day basis for us, but those businesses take a lot of attention, right? And it's gonna—it's difficult for to ask of them to think of not only running their business on a day-to-day basis, where they have thousands of team members working for them and hundreds of hours every week uh, in the plants, but then to also think about what's coming down the road. How am I going to handle disruption as it comes at me? How do I innovate in a way that's unique and forward-thinking? at the same time, run my business on a day-to-day basis. So for what we do, for the, we're eyes and ears for the business. We're looking down the road, you know, five, 10 plus years of what are the emerging trends that are going to help shape the future of Tyson. Hmm. Okay. That's- but it, does not, it doesn't mean that we're going to shift away from our core businesses. It means that we need to explore mm-hmm. what changes might be coming to better understand them, understand, is this a business we eventually want to get into? Is this really an existential threat to our business or is this something accretive to it that by participating in our own disruption, we can get better and return better value for our shareholders? That is a really interesting philosophy about, you know, investing in, quote, your own threats, because I feel like that's that's something like not a lot of people do. Right. Or maybe a lot of people. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think a lot of people talk about it because it sounds it sounds very good from a theory point of view. It's very hard to execute that. And mm-hmm. uh, if you do not have the thought alignment at the top of the business, as a corporate venture arm, you can talk all you want about, well, we're going to 
participate in our own disruption and, you know, it's either eat or, or <laughs> be eaten um, and all those great cliches. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact is, if you don't have that backing from the upper leadership, from our CEO on down, mm-hmm. you're not going to get any of those interesting deals done, right? Without the leadership from our, from our ELT and our board, an investment by Tyson into Memphis Meats, if you asked me a year ago if Tyson would invest in a company like Memphis Meats, I would mm-hmm. have said you're crazy, <laughs> Right. And I, I'm sure there are some people out there who still think we're crazy. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it's an emerging technology. And this is more a thesis, right? I'm not trying to be specific to this of course, deal. Of course. It's an emerging breakthrough technology that could have some impact on our business several years down the road. Mm-hmm. And it behooves us to understand it at an early stage so we can we can ascertain whether or not this is something real, if this is a fad. Is this an emerging consumer trend or is this something that's going to be here for three months and then be gone? And let's not spend too much corporate resources on it. Or is this something that's going to be around for a long time and could reshape the face of our business or one of our business units? And in that case, we better be around it and we better understand what's going on because the last thing we want is finding out that something shifted and we didn't know it was coming. I see. So, yeah, it's it's. It's kind of like a might as well deal, right? Like you might as well check out this. There's not really much risk if you're putting limited resources into scouting this out, right? Yeah, exactly. It, corporate venture can act as a force multiplier for your company's R&D teams, mm-hmm. for your company's innovation teams. We have several groups within Tyson proper that handle innovation and new products. We have a rapid growth brands group. Uh, within the prepared foods team under Sally Grimes, who handles, you know, our pet food business. A lot of people don't know Tyson has a pet food business. <laughs> a lot of people don't know we have a tannery business. Oh, uh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't know either until three <laughs> weeks ago when I was talking to a cultured leather business, mm-hmm. and someone says, "Oh, you should really talk to these folks in the fresh meats group because they handle they handle tannery." So it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me because we do we really do such a great job at being a sustainable business. And using as using uh, as much as the animal in our processing as possible. Yeah, I guess you don't hear many. Uh, you don't hear anything about the tanning industry, right? Like, or whenever I hear tanning, I think of the, like those weird. Uh, you go into this little cage and light shines on you. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, not that tanning, uh, <laughs> not at all. But yeah, so so we we're we're out there. We're finding these interesting niches, these interesting businesses that could have broader implications. Um, and when you meet with these entrepreneurs and you talk to them about all the resources that a Tyson has, another myth we, we try to dispel quickly is that we're in the acquisition prepping business. We have a separate group within Tyson that handles M&A, who also reports into Justin. Uh, that group's run by Kristen Wolf, who has an awesome team. Um, and they're working on the long-term M&A strategy for the company. That's not what Reese and I do. When we approach a company, we are not thinking this is the next acquisition for Tyson. We're thinking this is a breakthrough technology. This is a new way of doing something that we already do that we haven't thought of yet. And it makes a ton of sense for us to be around these folks. Hmm, interesting. Let's hear a little about you. How do we get to your level? And this, this is the right question. Oh, but, uh, describe the steps <laughs> it took to get to where you are today. Um, so I've taken a winding, very interesting path to get to where I am today, for sure. So started out, graduated from Villanova University in 2000, go Wildcats, and uh, started my career in public accounting. I did four years at a mid-sized firm in New York doing auditing and tax work for, for mostly closely held 
uh, family businesses in a variety of industries. Then I moved into alternative assets back when uh, back when partnership accounting was a hard part and valuations were easy. So I worked for a number of firms in the New York area, got the opportunity to work with some some really great folks who left great shops like Blackstone and Goldman and, and Francisco Partners to start their own firms. So got to be the first CFO in the chair at those places, which was a great, great learning experience for me. And then the opportunity to, to join Tyson came along and I saw it. And I just thought this is something I haven't done before. It's something that's very interesting to me. And it's a way to have an impact in people's everyday lives. Right. And not everybody drives a certain car and not everybody goes on certain vacations, but everybody eats every day, multiple times a day. Right. So to be able to work for a company that's as forward thinking as Tyson is, that is widespread as Tyson is and has a daily impact on everyone's lives was an amazing opportunity. Didn't think I was actually going to get the job, to be honest with you. But when uh, when the hiring manager called me up and said, are you sitting down? I was, I was you know, fired up about it. And I'll, I've, I've told Justin, I've told Tom Hayes, our CEO, and I said, I'm just having, a, I'm having a ton of fun doing this. Um, so, you know, to be given, honestly, to be trusted with this platform, Reese and I are, are very lucky. Um, we have tremendous team members who support us. Anyone we call with an opportunity, they're happy to take the time and share their expertise, right? We talk about trying to do a little bit different of a corporate venture model, um, which is traditionally mothership invests in a company, sucks a bunch of intellectual property out of it, and leaves it leaves it by the wayside. Oh, I've heard about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might have heard about yeah. that model. Yeah, I drink um, coffee from there. But <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> oh, so what we what we've decided to do is say, look, there's a way for us to be both both strategic and financial investors. And if the if the deal that we do is very well strategically aligned with our core business, the financial part's going to take care of itself. So we're not we're not out there like a VC firm planning for home runs and you know, yeah, we're gonna have a couple zeros. We're not thinking that way at all. We're thinking that all the deals that we put capital to have a good, strong strategic alignment with our core business that we can add value to. And that's what we want to tell tell companies when we meet with them is say Tyson Ventures is a different form of capital. We are not just simply a, a balance sheet coming in behind you with some grocery relationships, right? We have experts in operations, we have experts in food safety. We have experts in flavoring and packaging and marketing, and, and we're happy to open that Rolodex up and match up our team members who are great at what they do with these companies that need those kinds of resources but can't afford to hire a full team yet. Um, so I would say to folks who want to get to where I am, try it the traditional way. <laughs> you know, if you want to do deals, you know, be a finance major, be an accounting major. Uh, my accounting degree has helped me tremendously. I don't regret that one instance. Mm -hmm. It comes to... When it comes to analyzing financial statements, if you've audited them, uh, I think you do. You can do a great job of analyzing them from a modeling perspective. Uh -huh. Work in a firm, you know, work on a deal team. Uh, I don't know how easy it would be for someone to replicate what I've done. Um, I don't think I'm smarter than anyone else. I think just think I've been really lucky. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I I just want one little question about that that have interview level on the on the CFO level or C whatever level. Did they contact you, or did you find this out? I, apl I applied to an online job listing. Oh, okay. Wow. So that, that exists over with that. <laughs> it happens. Uh -huh. okay. it, I, am, I am proof that applying to online job listings actually happens. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We we always have this myth that um, the higher you go, it's it's more of who you know and that thing. I'm sure you had this 
based off of your answer, I'm sure you had this kind of conception too, right? Like, oh, absolutely, I, I, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the last job I had working with uh, David Ibnali over at Advanced Venture Partners, um, David and I had worked together at a previous firm called Augusta Columbia Capital, along with Chip Shore, who had left Blackstone to start that firm up. So David and I had known each other for years. And when I left Redbird, Jerry Cardinal's shop, and was was looking for my next role, I sort of called David and said, hey, I'm going to start this consulting firm that focuses on providing outsourced CFO, CCO services to startup PE firms. He said, well, that's great. I'm launching something with the Newhouse family here at Connie Nast. Would you like us to be your first client? So in that, and two, two months later, they hired me full-time to be the CFO and chief compliance officer. So there absolutely is an element to who you know. Um, and you have to build that reputation in the business, right? If I didn't do a good job with Chip and with David the first time around, there's no way David hires me the second time. So you absolutely have to do that. I've, I've, I've started using the, using the phrase that, um, you know, good reputations are hard earned. They give away the bad ones for free. <laughs> so it's really easy for, it's really easy to get a bad rep. Um, so always do right by people. Always try to be helpful would, would sort of be my advice. Great. That, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So let, let's dive into investing. Our audience pretty much has no idea how it works. Can you kind of tell us how it works? And that's a very vague topic, very broad, but maybe how you choose your investments. You know, is there is there a theory involved? Is it a risk calculated thing or, or is it more of a let's just do it type of thing? Yeah, it is. I wish it was a let's just do it thing. Um, <laughs> that would make our jobs a lot easier, but I don't think I don't think the results would be as good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're grateful for the process. Um, so let's talk. I guess let's talk first about the second question, uh, which is how we find our deals. So we have, as I said at the at the top of the, the podcast, we have two core investment pillars: sustainability and Internet of Food. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were viewed as sustainability. Obviously, it's a huge mandate all across Tyson's businesses. So we thought, what better area for us to focus on than that? And we've subdivided that into four subgroups. The first is alternative proteins. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where our Beyond Meat and Memphis Meats investments would fall into. We're also looking at things like mycoproteins, fungal-based, algae-based. Um, we've started to talk to some interesting companies in the aquaculture area. Yeah, um, um, one of the companies, um, Perfect Day, right, just got funding for someone else? Yep, mm-hmm. yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. That one's a little bit, uh, that's, a, that's a further road for us okay. and not a core competency that Tyson has uh, in the seafood business. Um, but we'll see. You know, we're, we're, we are moving. Tom Hayes is doing an amazing job of moving us to being a, a more, a broader protein business and not just simply as we move towards being a modern food company, being a full protein portfolio and not simply, not simply meat focused. Um, so we'll see. You know, all bets are on the table until they tell us they're off and then they're off. Then we also look at companies that focus on eliminating food waste. You see a lot of people throwing a lot of numbers around about food and how much food is wasted. Some people say a third of the food in the food supply is wasted. I don't think anyone ever, anyone will ever be able to quantify the exact amount. Um, I'm going to go with too much is wasted, and we need to do something about it. So then we, we look at companies that focus on food safety, food security in the supply chain. That could be pathogen testing. It could be cold chain logistics. And then the last area we look at is food deserts. How do we feed a projected world population of 10 billion people by 2050? Um, and we have to think about those things now, right? You can't wake up in 2045 and say, oh, man, in five years, we're going to be at 10 billion. How do we feed all these people sustainably? You have to think about this stuff now because those 
those in, that infrastructure, those networks take a long time to develop and build. And then we focus on the Internet of Food, uh, which is a great white space for Reese and I to really flex our, our, our muscles around and, and think about. Um, so there we'll look at connected devices. We will look at that's where our investment in Tovala falls into. Right. Um, we'll look at disruptive revenue models, direct to consumer channels that Tyson currently doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of business through. Uh, we'll also look at sensor technology. For example, a company that might monitor ammonia levels in a chicken grow house at the farm level, automatically kick on ventilation systems, or precision agriculture technology that can help monitor crop levels and help farmers apply the right amount of pesticides and, and, and allocate their water resource more effectively. All things that sort of fall into our supply chain mm-hmm. that could enhance that, we're looking at. I see. So if I have an idea, <laughs> let's say, how would how would some person is it more of you searching and looking at specific events like let's say food bites where you are right now mm-hmm. or, or is it they'll come to you and throw an idea at your you know email and you'll look into it um it's a little bit of both so Reese and I have looked at um I'd say conservatively around five hundred uh opportunities between uh between now and when we started tracking back in June of last year. Um, we've had tr- we had a great amount of deal flow. Obviously, not all of them make it uh, for various reasons, but that's our job, right? Our job is to map the market and, and figure out not only who the good companies are, but who are their competitors. Because a lot of times, I'll tell you, Adam, you come across what you think, <clears throat> excuse me, is an interesting company, and you do a little bit of work in the space, and that leads you to find the better company that, that people haven't heard of. So it's not enough to meet this really great management team that has a cool idea and a really scalable business model, you got to go out then and say, who are the other people in this space, right? You got to do a SWOT analysis. You, you do your own internal SWOT analysis around where do you want to go look for opportunities. And then when you find an opportunity, you got to do a SWOT analysis on those folks and figure out, okay, where, what are their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And who are going to be, you know, who's the company that's going to disrupt them, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've identified my disruptor. Who's going to be their disruptor? Okay. And let me make sure this is actually the right team and the right company to get behind. Can you give me an example of that? I, guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I can't, I can't share names with you, no, no problem. Um, uh-huh. but we have, uh, we have looked at spaces where, you know, we've been introduced to the hot company, right? Uh-huh. The, the, the big name in the business mm-hmm. and we've met with them and the team's impressive and the deck is pretty and the business model is well, well crafted and put together. And then you go back and you hit up PitchBook and you hit up Google and you hit up the network and you talk with folks around who else is in that space. And then you meet some really interesting people, right, who are not as popular in the media, who are doing things more quietly, more thoughtfully, at a more measured pace. And those can be more exciting to us. Um, we're, we're absolutely interested in businesses that can scale and scale quick, scale quickly but we also want businesses that scale in a thoughtful way. The last thing you want to do as a, as a CPG or a food company that's selling through retail channels is make promises you can't deliver on in terms of, in terms of supply, right? Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to invest in a really cool emerging brand, introduce them to our Walmart or our Kroger channels. Those folks love them, want to push them out to all their stores, but we can't meet demand, right? That doesn't that doesn't look good for anybody. Um, so we want to do a really good job of thinking companies that think thoughtfully about growth, about projections, 
you know, I always say when I'm looking at these companies at an early stage, um, some people say, I need to see three to five year projections. I don't, you know, they're, uh-huh. they're wrong. Um, it's like when I used to do auditing for private equity, when I used to be the CFO for private equity firms, the auditors would sit across the desk from me and they'll say, how confident are you in these valuation numbers? I said, well, I'll tell you one thing, they're all wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea if someone's actually going to pay this for this company, but based on all the information I have at this time, I believe that's a fair valuation. So yeah, so you know, thinking that way about these companies and saying, based on all the information I have now, based on these management teams, this is the right opportunity for us to go after. Hmm, I see. Uh, yeah, I do want to go even deeper into this. So uh, it's, sure. it's so interesting to me. So you have these. How do you how do you contact them? I feel like 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 do you do you email and saying, hey, we have a we have an offer for you, or or hey, we want to go talk to you. Uh, and then, yeah. and then, what is that complexity of, of the relationship and how it forms? And then, what is like the the, the tension level when you um, when you offer them something? Um, so every every deal is obviously a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, it'll be uh, if we're reaching out to someone, it'll be an email usually with some information on those two pillars we talked about. So mm-hmm. here are the areas that we're interested in. Here's how I found you. Here's why I think we could be a good fit based on what you do and what we're interested in and the resources we have to offer you. Love to schedule some time to get together and talk. Here's our one-page teaser on on Tyson Ventures. Mm. And I would say probably 98% of the time we'll get an email back saying, (laughs) thanks for reaching out. We're super interested in talking with Tyson. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. Like I said, Reese and I have a tremendous platform to invest off of. We're super lucky that way. So the email domain certainly helps for sure. Um, and then we'll we'll start out with an introductory call, usually around 30 to 45 minutes with the management team. We'll ask them to send us a, a presentation, an overview deck before then, so we can do some pre-reading and have some thoughtful questions for them. Um, and then we'll spend a, a little bit of time on the phone with them, get an idea of their business. Where are they in a capital situation? What are they? Who are their co-investors? So we want to make sure we're investing with a, co-investing with a strong group. Um, and then we'll see if they're interested in moving forward. And if they are, then we'll put together an internal team of experts that are that are versed in this company's area. Um, and then we'll get on a second diligence call, which usually around, lasts around 60 to 90 minutes. Um, and it gives our team member, our subject matter experts within Tyson, the opportunity to, to grill the management team, dig into the business model, dig into the, if, it's a, if it's a software business that enables something in the food. Uh, we'll get someone from our information services team to dig into the tech stack. If it's a pathogen testing business, we'll get our microbiology team on the phone, and they'll they'll help dig into that area of the business. If it's a disruptive revenue model, we'll get our head of e-commerce on the phone and have them dig into that. So we're so we have a great great bench right of these SMEs to pull on, mm-hmm. um, and the entrepreneurs actually love it, right? Because yes. we get them on the phone, we go. By the way, guys, this is the team you're going to work with wow. when you get to Tyson, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't an operating partner that's a friend of the firm and we, we throw him or her some work every now and then these people have full-time day jobs this is what they do every day <laughs> um, you're probably not going to find smarter people in these areas than these folks um, and these are the people who are going to work adding value uh, alongside our financial investment down the road so the entrepreneurs love that and there might be some some investment uh, opportunities that don't make sense from a financial perspective but there could be an opportunity for a pilot uh, with our company where our microbiology team or our animal welfare team is looking to enhance a capability and wants to try something out. But the company's too early stage for us to make an investment in. 
Um, we'd like to see, maybe we'd like to see a few more customers in the sales pipeline. Maybe we'd like to see a strong financial VC in the next round before we get involved. So there might be some factors that, that make Reese and I have pause, but having those subject matter experts from Tyson on the phone could generate some interesting, what we call non-investment collaboration work with these companies. That, that's really interesting. Yeah, thinking about it, like you know, Tyson has all of these assets that they can leverage to to become, you know, like the microbiology, for instance. You have experts. Like that's something that that really makes sense when when it comes to vetting out companies. Is like, okay, we can bring our expert team from way over here and talk to this startup. So that's, exactly, yeah, that's really smart. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know many people who. I mean, maybe people do it. I'm not sure, but uh, that's that's a really smart method. We we think it we think it adds a, a tremendous. We think it, it it demonstrates to the company how down the road we can add real value from day one. Right, a lot of VC firms will say, "Well, we add value to the investments we make," mm-hmm. and some do a really great job of that, and some don't. But I don't think I think you'd be hard pressed to find another group that makes the claim that we do that can actually back it up. From really from before the investments even made, because mm-hmm. I'll tell you there are some entrepreneurs we get on the phone with who learn more from our team uh, on the call than we do from them, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's you know that's going to happen, and that's but we're happy to do that. And what's really great about it, Adam, I'll tell you, is we're feeding the network, right? Mm-hmm. This is yes. like I said earlier, this is a people business, and when when you meet a company that you really like the team. You think the idea is cool. It's just too darn early to invest in, mm-hmm. or it's just a bridge too far, or it's a really cool new product, but it competes directly with one of our prepared food brands. And I'm just not going to get that across the line. Mm-hmm. And you tell them, look, I, I like you guys a lot. I think what you're doing is super cool. I can't bring this to my investment committee, but here's a couple of people you should go talk to. Here are a few firms that, that will invest in the things you're investing in. And you make those warm introductions for them and you set them up for success after telling them no, that comes back to you in the network. And we've already seen where, you know, we've made the investment in, in a company and we've, you know, we've done right by the CEO and by the team and we're doing exactly what we said we were going to do at the outset when we first met them. Um, so we're delivering on our promises and we get an inbound and we get a, a phone call from that gentleman telling us that, hey, by the way, I was talking to this person who you guys are talking to. They asked me, you know, are you guys really about what you say you're about? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? And I was happy to tell them, absolutely, here's what they're doing. Um, so we're seeing that, you know, real time. Um, we're seeing entrepreneurs reach out to us and saying, hey, I just talked to my buddy at so-and-so. You know, he said they talk, you guys talked. You couldn't do anything. But I have this business. Could we talk? You know, and if, if Reese and I and, and our, our great team members who join us on these diligence calls, if we're not doing right by those entrepreneurs, that doesn't happen. I see. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That That's really good stuff. Wow. All right. This looks like a time for a good break. Let's hear a word from our sponsors, Icon Foods. Let me guess. Marketing has asked you to pull a rabbit out of your hat. They say they want a product that delivers a brilliant full mouthfeel with a flavor profile that matches sucrose or high fructose corn syrup, but they don't want the added sugars. It has appeal to moms. It has to be natural and clean. Seriously? This is where my friends at Icon Foods can play a role. Icon recently developed a new sweetening system that is a one-for-one replacement for sucrose and high-fructose corn syrup called Keto Sweet Plus. It's a blend of allulose, stevia, and monk fruit. It functions exactly like sucrose. It browns, it caramelizes, 
It participates in Maillard reactions. The only thing that it doesn't do is give you a foot massage. This new revolutionary sweetener was developed by Icon Foods CEO Tom King, who was on my podcast at episode 72. If you are looking to cut down on your added sugars in your formulas and want to take Keto Sweet Plus for a spin, give my friends at Icon Foods a call at 310-455-9876 or look them up on the internet at www.iconfoods.com. So we have our famous question. All right, that was fun. Now back to the show. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell people, uh, so Justin and I were at a conference at the Global Corporate Venturing Summit uh, out in California a few weeks ago, and I was sitting at a table during a break, pounding out a presentation, and Justin came out from behind me. He's like, he's like, I, I got to tell you, you got a pretty cool job. <laughs> I said, okay, thanks, boss. He said, I know it sounds a little weird having your boss tell you you have an awesome job, but you really do. And I told him, I do. You know, I get to help I get to be a part of the team that's helping to shape the future of an iconic American brand from the inside out, right? And I'm empowered to do that, and I'm encouraged to do that, and I get any resource I need to go and do that. That's a pretty amazing job to have, and and it's just I'm really, really lucky to be working with the team that I'm working with. Um, Every team member at Tyson has been tremendously supportive. I was part of recently of a team talk. Uh, which we do once a quarter. And um, I was up on a, on a panel talking about the emerging trends in protein uh, with a couple of our friends from uh, from Prepared Foods and our nutritional nutritional team. And it was pretty pretty terrifying, you know, being uh, knowing that your image and the words you're saying are being broadcast to 122,000 of your closest friends. Um, but when, you know, when I was done, finished drying my palms off, you know, <laughs> people coming up to me and saying, wow, you know, you did a really awesome job. We're you know, thanks for being a part of the ventures team and thinking about the future for the company. I mean, really amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. So just, I, I can't say enough about the opportunity that Reese and I have been given. Oh man, that's, that's, that is so great. I have a quick question about, I guess, city hub. So what do you think is the most like prominent or, or popular place to that, I guess, an ecosystem of these food ventures? There's so many of them popping up now. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to a new one that's launching in San Jose last night uh, at Food Bites. Um, you, we've we've announced partnerships with 1871 and, and Plug and Play. You know, we're we're getting uh, we attend the weekly meetings, uh, the monthly meetings rather of the Chicagoland Food and Beverage uh, Organization trade group that Alan Reed does a great job running in Chicago. We're actually hosting one of their breakfasts at Tyson in April. We're going to have the you know the head of sustainability from Coke come and do do a talk for for people from Kellogg and, and Conagra and a bunch of other uh, businesses that are headquartered in Chicago, as well as some small you know entrepreneurial businesses. So there's such a really great emerging ecosystem around food right now. It's so exciting. And Reese and I sort of we fight the battle of we can't do it all. Mm-hmm. You know we get great opportunities. We get great invitations all the time. But, you know, we, we have day jobs, too, unfortunately, <laughs> um, that require us to be out of, uh, you know, out of the state, out of the country, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to do our level best to, to participate in those groups that we think we can bring the most to. It's not, it's not the groups we can get the most out of. It's more it's similar to how we do our investing thesis, right? It's, it's what is going to be the most mutually beneficial relationship for us to have. You know, the hatchery recently opened up in Chicago. Which is a great group, and they're doing some. They're doing some amazing things. Um, the opportunity that was there just didn't fit, you know, our bandwidth. 
Yeah, so we're going to have to say no to some things. And it hurts because you want to be out there and do for everybody and, and get involved and, and have access to all these great channels. But we're doing our best to sort of find the ones that make the most sense, uh, get involved where we can. I think 1871 is going to be a great partnership for us, the entrepreneurial hub in Chicago. Uh, so we have a branded presence there. Our, our friends at the Tyson Innovation Lab under Sally Grimes and Jen Bentz uh, can, can hang out over there and meet some interesting companies at a the, much earlier stage. And uh, you know, that group, the Innovation Lab, has the plug-and-play partnership. We work closely with them, right? There'll be some companies that get approached by foreign investment. And they say, well, we don't do investments. We do pilot partnerships. But let me introduce you to my friends, Tom and Reese, who handle the investing for the venture side. You know, and we'll, we'll do vice versa. You know, we've had companies come to us that, that want to do a pilot partnership around a product or a service. And we'll say, well, we don't really do that. But let me introduce you to my friend Rizal, who runs that team for Sally and Jen. He can talk to you about the things they're working on. Hmm. So I'm hearing a lot of Chicago and I'm hearing a lot of, um, as we mentioned before, uh, San Francisco-ish area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So let, let's dive into really cool technology. So I got you a, kind of a list of things that, from from the guests I've talked to, they're really interested in this type of stuff. So can you give me the thoughts on the following? And I don't know how rapid fire this will be, but for example, plant-based meats like Beyond Meat and Impossible Food. Yeah, it's a here-to-stay consumer demand area for us. Um, we, we fully believe that this is going to be a long-term uh, trend. It's going to be a growing, emerging market for protein businesses, and, and that's why we, yeah, we're fully behind Memphis and, and Beyond Meat from an investment standpoint. Yeah, more on Beyond, definitely more from consumer demand on Memphis, more from an emerging trend, mm-hmm. uh, potential breakthrough technology point of view. Yeah, so um, Beyond Meat has a commercialization presence, right? And what I find actually really interesting about them is that most of the consumers are meat eaters. That's right. Yeah, right? So Yeah, about uh, 70% of, of Beyond Meat's customers are, are self-described carnivores or omnivores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I th- And I think that goes to why we found the investment so interesting. And I'll be honest, that, that deal was done before I joined Tyson. It was done in October of 16, and I joined in June of 17. <laughs> um, but I, I, I have the board observer seat for Tyson Ventures on Beyond Meat, and I work closely with Seth and Ethan and their management team uh, every week. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, and this is what gets us excited, right? If you have a company that's going to go out, and I'm going to focus on the 2 to 4% of the population that's, that's self-described as vegan, vegetarian, from an investment point of view, that's not that interesting for me. You know, I, it's, a, it's a small subset of the population. You're, you're a very niche brand. Single brands are super hard. And to be a, a hyper-focused niche single brand, that much harder to be successful. So when, when we saw the thesis at Beyond Meat that they are going after, their, their, their mission is to provide healthy alternatives to meat. And the partnerships that they've been able to strike and the, the sales channels that they have and the TGI Fridays relationship that they've, you know, it was the fastest from pilot to distribution that TGI Fridays has ever done. I think it was a couple months um, where they went from a few testing locations to to, to uh, network wide in the U.S., all 469 locations um, really speaks to that that idea that plant based options to traditional meat is not a fad. It's not a passing thing. It is a it is a demand that consumers have to vary their diet. And you know that's and like I said earlier that we we're a consumer focused business and that's what we need to be a part of. Hmm, interesting. 
So now the topic of clean meat, which one of my favorite topics to talk about, one because uh, I had an amazing interview with Paul Shapiro and I read his book. So love the topic. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? We see cultured meat as a as a potential breakthrough technology that we need to be around and understand. We you know the commercialization of it is still up for grabs. You have you have a number of companies working on the problem from, from various angles. Um, which I think will result in some consolidation in that market at some point where someone gets a little bit ahead of everybody else and then gets well capitalized and then goes out and, and goes out and buys, buys the rest of them up for, for their network. Um, yeah, no idea who that's going to be yet. I think that's a couple years out for sure, but it's a really, really interesting space. Uh, my mother was a biology professor, so I grew up listening to lectures about, about this stuff. So for me, it's fascinating to hear about this. And she, you know, she's always quick to remind me, see, it's good. It's good. I practice my lectures in front of you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's debatable. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting space. It's an, like I said, it's a breakthrough technology that we are, we're, we're near, we're around, we're understanding. Um, and again, you know, we're happy to work with those companies. If there's groups within Tyson that they want to talk to, and we've already had some discussions around who's the right, who the right uh, SMEs at Tyson to put in touch with them. Yeah, we're happy to do that. Uh, we think what they're doing is interesting. Who would be the right person to talk to in Tyson, like about this type of knowledge? Because it's so new, right? Yeah. So, so we have we have a few folks who who work as our principal scientists in mm-hmm. our discovery centers, which are our research and development facilities. Tyson is the Tyson family is pretty much endowed the uh, the the poultry science uh, division at the University of Arkansas. So okay. we have some folks there mm-hmm. who are super interested in what we're doing. Yeah, so right now it's very much on the science side of things. Mm-hmm. I don't, we're nowhere near thinking about distribution and marketing and packaging and labeling and all that stuff. Uh, we are still very much in the can this actually be done phase. Yes, yes. Uh, in the book, he he did mention there's there's a very big thing about commercialization. It's pretty much at a standstill because the te- technology to mass produce it is pretty complex, from what I've read. Yeah, it's it's complex. It's expensive, which usually complex usually read you know read read. You know, we have a very complex supply chain. Read expensive, <laughs> cost of goods sold on. Nice. Um, so that's that's a that's a little hint for folks who are evaluating companies from their pitch deck. <laughs> Anytime you see the word complex, it just cross it out. Read expensive. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think you'll see. We've had discussions around the right market for this, right? And where do you think this is going to be the the has the best opportunity? I, I think international has a tremendous opportunity here, especially in those food deserts, areas where building a traditional animal protein network, right, all the way from the ranch to the feedlot to the processor to the distributor to the store is going to be hard to do. You know, emerging nations, countries where you have infrastructure issues government control issues, food safety and security and the supply chain issues. Again, when you build that complex network, um, there's a lot of area, there's a lot of spots along that chain for things to go sideways. So if you have a, a more truncated supply chain in the form of a network of bioreactors that's, that's creating, creating meat in a lab setting, that might be a way to address those, those areas. I don't know yet. But again, that's that's why we're investing in the area. That's why we're around those folks to figure out what the applicability is going to be down the road. Very, 
Yeah, very. I'm, I'm really excited about this one because <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like science fiction come to life in, in my eyes. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, my wife and I are both Star Trek fans, and um, <laughs> you know, it's very much like the food replicator, right? You're 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 creating mm-hmm. you're creating food out of obviously you're not creating matter out of nothing, right? That doesn't make any sense from a physics standpoint, but <laughs> that's the one thing I remember from my physics class. <laughs> but but you are you know you're you're creating things from a cellular level which is just really really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll see. But it, you know it's it's rife with it's rife with issues. It's rife with complexities, and we'll see where where it pans out. Just like all technology, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about the Internet of Things (IoT). Um, you mentioned Internet of Food. Yeah, which is you know, IoT for IoT for food. Um, so we're looking at those connected devices. Toval is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, really excited about that platform and the possibilities it has, both for Toval and for Tyson. As I said earlier, direct to consumer is not an area where we have a ton of capabilities. Um, so partnering with a company that's in that space has done a good job of building a loyal consumer base is really interesting to us. Being able to tap into that network, uh, we're really excited about the opportunities there. In Michael Wolf's podcast, uh, you mentioned about a very interesting thing about data with with IoT, and that with that ability to get data instantly, you can make a lot of really fast and agile innovations. Yeah, this is really informed by my time with uh, with David at, at Advanced uh, Venture Partners, where we 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 were focused on media marketing technology investments, and data really is the you know people say data is king. It, it, it truly is. If you're a consumer product business, it really is. You need to know consumer preferences shift daily. You need to know where people are likely to buy, what are they interested in buying, and when do they want it, right? So when we talk about ROI on marketing spend, how do you measure that in a way that allows you to, to deploy those marketing resources in the best way possible? So a business like Tovala, which has real oh, near real-time consumer feedback, right? So they get their package, and if, if there's something wrong with it, people, the company's going to know right away because someone's going to hop on their phone and, and fire off a note, hey, my box came, it was broken. Hey, this food came, and it was not that this happens to those guys, but um, <laughs> they, do, they do a great job on the distribution side. Mm-hmm. But my point is consumers are, we are now, with our mobile devices, Right, we talk about mobile device-driven behavior and how we're conditioned to use those phones as our conduit to the world. Right? It used to be back in the day, you have an issue with something, you write a letter. Uh, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that old, yeah, that I remember that, where we would go on a, you go on an airplane ride and like your seat didn't go back all the way, so you wrote a letter to United and complained about it. Um, now I hop on my phone and I get the email from United prompting me, how was your flight? And I was like, well, my direct TV didn't work and my mm-hmm. earphone jack didn't work. <laughs> and in 30 seconds, I get an email back from saying, we're very sorry, here's 7,500 rewards miles. There you uh, mm-hmm. So, but what, what that shows us is the speed of consumer interaction and the way that brands are disintermediating that communication system is moving at a tremendous pace. And us investing in a company like Tovala allows us to learn from that. Right, we're still about corporate learning. Corporate venture is still always going to be about corporate learnings from these smaller, more agile companies that can take risks, right, and try something new and different without the fear of of taking a hit in the market or, or having some investor uh, investor uh, lashback. Um, so, partnering with these folks, we get to learn from that. And if you if you get to the point where there's a Tyson branded product like David Rabbi's talked about, 
um, a Tyson branded product on the Tovala platform, and we can then tap into that data stream and learn what Tyson branded products do these oh, do these consumers man. like the most? Which Crazy. ones are they buying more frequently? Which ones didn't they like? That's to uh -huh. me the ones, and, and I talked about this with Mike Wolf as well. To me, data around what people like is interesting. What's more interesting is what didn't they like, because now I can know what to go and fix, right? <laughs> I could always make more of something that people like. Mm -hmm. The harder thing for me to do is, those people don't like to tell you inherently, your food sucks, and yeah. I didn't like uh, this, uh -huh. and you shouldn't have done that. I think the flavor profile is off. Um, <laughs> so for us, so to be able, but our, again, our phones give us sort of the shield, right? We feel mm -hmm. empowered, we feel protected, and we can, we can give unfettered, unfiltered feedback to people. That's the data that I want. Because that's going to tell me what I need to change, what I need to fix to match what their expectations are. Wow. Yeah, and it's crazy how, how the phone can just do so much nowadays. And we, and we treat it kind of the extension. Someone even described uh, phones to me as, as being a cyborg now because it's the extension of ourselves. I'm like, wow, yeah, I can complain instantly pretty much. And it has yeah. also, a, a, I don't want to say a shield of like integrity, but... I can say it sucks a lot easier on the internet than I can to someone's face. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it's because you feel that like you fire it off and you're done. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I still, I still, I still miss the days of being able to slam the phone down on someone <laughs> that I've had, had a disagreement with. Uh, you know, I mean, how hard can you actually press the end button to get yeah, your point right? across? Yeah. Don't, don't uh, slam your smartphone down. Yeah. No, don't do, oh, I've done that. Oh, uh, but don't, <laughs> yeah, I would recommend not doing that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you, my, my, my current favorite comic, Sebastian Maniscalco, said, like, Uber is like hitchhiking with your phone, right? Yeah, it's uh -huh. like, to your point, it's an extension of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a really, it, using this device, and, and Tovala has a great uh, emerging consumer community on their app on their, for their phone where people can share recipes, and, t and it's almost like a oh, subreddit, right, right uh -huh. where they're talking about you know, this really worked for me. Hey, have you guys tried doing this in the oven? Um, so really, really cool, really cool tech, really cool community. We're excited, really excited about what that can do. And, you know, sort of to our operating model, after we closed the investment, we had a, a product development meeting where we brought the culinary team and the executive team from Tavala into our office in Chicago and brought the leaders from our prepared food and poultry divisions and talked about, you know, here's the list of Tyson products. What do you uh -huh. want to work with first? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just like that really cool stuff. We've had the leadership team from Beyond Meat come into our test kitchens in Chicago and test out some of their new innovative products that haven't even been talked about in the market yet. And with our prepared food team and our Jimmy Dean team and our Hill Shower team, right, those, those synergies you would expect to happen, have them in there talking about, you know, how can we partner up? Could we do something interesting? So too, too soon to tell if anything like that's going to happen, but we're you know, that's how we're going to approach these deals yep that's that's wow i'm gonna check out tovala definitely I, i've heard a little bit about them but i only heard them because of tyson's investment <laughs> what do you think about um blockchain that's this is a really big topic from what i hear everywhere yeah <laughs> yeah we, we we've had several meetings on blockchain to figure out we need more meetings to figure out what blockchain is <laughs> um so i think I think yeah. we're all in the same boat. I think there's a few people at SAP, Oracle, and IBM who actually know what it is, and they're mm -hmm. going to tell us one day. <laughs> now, so it's you know, having a, a, and I'll use the word again, complex supply chain, as Tyson does, transparency into that supply chain, not only for our customers, but also for, 
for us is is critical. Um, so we've we, we've announced a partnership with IBM and Walmart, and I think Nestle is in that cohort as well, working on uh, working on a blockchain project. So we, we'll see a number of startup blockchain businesses that are very hype that are hyper focused right now. So they're picking anytime you have some of these technologies, they'll sort of pick an area, whether it's produce uh, or meat or feed or grain, and they'll sort of pick one of those and they'll figure out, okay, how do we build a blockchain around that? And I'll tell you, a question that recently came up for us was, well, who's going to verify all this Mm -hmm. data that's entered into the blockchain? It can't be the people who are entering the data. That's been a problem everyone's been talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I told Justin, we were having a conversation just before I left Chicago to come out here to the West Coast. And I said, look, I I could see it as when Sarbanes-Oxley was announced, right? And these, these public accounting firms launched new groups to do SOX compliance for publicly traded companies. I could see something like that. I don't know who's going to do it, but someone along somewhere on the someone in the world is going to have to be the the certifying body for the data that's entered into the blockchain because it's just like any other CRM, right? It's a garbage in garbage out system. So if you have a bad packet of data that gets entered into the system somewhere along the line, it's going to infect the entire chain. Yeah. So someone has to be verifying that the data entered is actually true and accurate. Oh, it's the same with food, right? I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, no, it's fine. It's like the same with food, right? If you have a bad ingredient, you know, might have salmonella, let's say, or or, or melamine, right? Then it ruins everything, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and even smaller risks, you know, like an allergen gets introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, um, yes. Not that you know, not that allergens are a smaller risk than than a, than a pathogen contamination for some folks it can be deadly, but you know, if an ingredient gets swapped out for a salad dressing for a prepared salad somewhere along the line. Right. And then that goes through a food, a prepared foods business uh, and then gets distributed broadly to thousands of stores. How do you handle that? How do you recall? A re- and more importantly, how do you recapture that? Right? It's one thing to issue a recall. How do you actually recapture that product and get it back? Because you can say, well, we recalled it and the store didn't send it back to us, but someone still ate it and got really sick. Well, we're still going to we're still going to have a problem about that. So how do you. How do you make sure that everyone along the chain is doing what they're supposed to do? It's still a, it's still a hugely evolving technology. Very, very fascinating for us. Had tons of applicability along our business. So we have, we have really smart people at Tyson Foods who are working closely with the folks developing blockchain. And we're also looking at it from the venture standpoint. Wow. So you already have people. In, okay. So because you work with Walmart, you already have people invested into the blockchain in Tyson. Yeah. We're, we're working closely with our friends at Walmart on how do we, you know, how do we implement this? How does this how is this going to work? Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. It, you can read as much as you want about blockchain, but you still probably don't get it. Right. <laughs> that's that's what I feel. And that's what everyone feels. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, <laughs> people, I say, OK, so it's a cloud based open source network of data where anyone who touches the supply chain can enter information about their role in the supply chain. Yes. Okay, and then I can okay. go and read that. Yeah, that's that, you know that's my you know, ten seconds on blockchain. All right, all right. I'll, I'll try to get an expert on who who knows a little bit more about it. If you know anyone, let me know because it's a real it's a real tough topic for for a lot of people. Yeah, so I'll try and find someone for you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's talk about artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, so we are you know we're looking at some AR, some VR uh, things for our for our processing plants. Right. We're a goal that everyone at Tyson's measured on is team team member safety. And our goal is to make our plans as safe as possible for our team members 
But what we some of the work they do is still dangerous. It's still very up up close and personal with the animals. So we are doing what we can, meeting with some robotics companies, meeting with some exoskeleton companies on how do we not. And our intent is not in any way to reduce the number of team members in the plants. Our goal is to make our team members safer in the facilities. So we want to, you know, we sort of say, if I can move my team member three feet back from the line and still have them execute their job at a high level, that they're using a, using an augmented reality and maybe some robotics uh, for slicing, that's super interesting for me. Because super interesting, A, those folks are still working at Tyson, which we love. B, they're working in a much safer environment. Love that. And see, they're learning new skills. You know, that's we have a great program called Upward Academy where we help our team members, you know, improve and, and better themselves and everything. Um, so we're we're looking for ways to augment those programs, looking for ways that make things safer. I think AI is going to play a role in that. It's also going to play a role in some predictive analytics around marketing and where do we deploy those resources as well. So this is funny because um, my internship a long time ago was uh, in a turkey slaughterhouse at Cargill. So ah. and and I remember all of these guys standing in a line cutting the guts out of turkeys with giant knives, right? So um, very knife-based industry. Let's just, when it comes to being up close and personal. So uh, I know yeah. there is technology going to getting rid of the person holding the knife. And it's interesting how that type of technology, especially like AR, VR, or artificial intelligence, will play a role in even just cutting cutting carcasses up. Yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you the challenge for that for that industry. Uh, and when I say that industry, I mean the uh, you know making it easier and and using AR, VR is every every animal's different. Yeah, um, yes. there are no two steers that are the same. There's no two hogs that are the same. There's no two broilers that are the same. So. It, it's not as simple as just programming computer that say, you know, you start at this position and cut 45 degree angle for three inches, then cut. It doesn't work that way. Um, so that's why it's still very much that up close and personal relationship between the line and the animal. So we're trying to figure out what are the technologies that could enhance that, make it more safe, make it more efficient. Our lines currently run at great speeds and great paces. We'll do you know, 35 million chicken per week and 140,000 head of steer a week and over 400,000 head of hog per week. That's a lot of, that's a lot of protein moving through that line. And we have great team members who help us hit those numbers, but we want to make sure they're doing it in the most safe manner possible. Of course, definitely safety first, as they say, right? Absolutely. <laughs> One more topic, because uh, you mentioned food deserts and I have a, I have a few friends who are really frustrated on the problem. Uh, what is Tyson doing to kind of alleviate the food desert situation? So we're looking at some some companies that can make food more affordable and more accessible for folks. So we're, we're working on an interesting opportunity right now. Can't really can't really go into too much detail no about problem, it. No problem. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, hopefully soon we can. But yeah, we're we're looking at, at at those at those opportunities for sure. And those are those are harder to do from a from a financial perspective, right? Because those companies, those those efforts are usually seen as a purview of governments or NGOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to get a corporate venture arm to make an investment in a triple bottom line business. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Right, where the net income part of the triple bottom line is not going to be the biggest number is a challenge. You know, it's not only a challenge from I can't get the leadership to approve it. It's a challenge for me to get my to get my arms around it. From being being the numbers guy in the group, um, but there's there's absolutely no doubt for me that the other two legs of that triple bottom line are, are crucial 
are very important. You know, Tyson is in a, is in the, the really lucky position of being the number one meat producer in the U.S. And that comes with responsibilities. And I think we already do a great job of that with our corporate social responsibility team. Our team members runs that uh, on Justin's team. And, you know, we're just, we're just looking at ways to augment those efforts. And if there's a company that's doing something really interesting, it'll probably be tech enabled because that's the most efficient way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going to, we'll take a run at it. No, that's, well, that's good to know that, that you, you guys are looking into a problem. I think um, some of my food advocate friends and stuff like that, they have other opinions on how other people are focusing on food deserts. So, well, thank you. I'll, I'll tell my friends, Tyson has your back. Give them my number. They can call me. We can talk about it. You know, I'd love to hear what they're, look, I, we need to talk to those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to talk with the, with the NGOs and the, and the community groups that are focused on this problem to figure out how can we help. You know, they're closer to the problem than we are. I can talk all day about how it's Tyson's you know, responsibility, given its position in the market, to do something about this. But they're the ones who know the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So I need to I need to talk with those community leaders. I need to talk with the folks who run those organizations and the food banks and the city harvest like operations and say, how can we you know, how can we help? How can we get involved in this? What can we do to to make your job easier and get good food to people who need it? Great. I will. I will send you some contacts or, or I'll communicate that because I, I have a soft spot for it myself. So two more questions, if that's okay. Um, sure. Um, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to tackle something big? I, I guess my, my number one advice would be have passion for it. Anytime you tackle something big, it's going to be hard, right? Everyone says anything, anything worth doing is going to be hard. You have to be ready for failure. You're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to face adversity. You're going to face people who say no just because they don't want to say yes. And you're going to have to convince them. And it's not going to be easy. But build your case. Be thoughtful. Understand their perspective. Understand where they're coming from. Understand why they're going to say no. And then figure out how to get them to yes. There's some great books out there about it. But, you know, it comes down to get to know the person. Don't get to know the person, not their role, if that makes sense. And understand how to appeal to them. And, and get your message through. Uh, what books, by the way? My book list's running short. That's all. Oh, <laughs> good to great is a good one. I'll, I'll have to. There's one that's escaping me that I recently read. All right, um, but I'll, I'll shoot that great, one to you. To, but good to great. I've seen that book a lot, and uh, I didn't yeah. know it was one of those type of books. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely put that on the list. One last question is: Where can we find you for advice if you want to be found? I know you get a lot of emails, but it's free range for you. I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my profile's open. You can connect with me without an email address. That's a, pre- that's a pet peeve <laughs> of mine on LinkedIn for anyone who's listening. You know, if you're, if you're on LinkedIn, you mm-hmm. just make your profile open. <laughs> but I understand, you know, people reach out for, for no good reason at all, but, um, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. So, you know, just, just Google Tyson ventures and our website should pop up and there's a, there's a submission form there. You can reach out to Reese and I that way. We both get those emails. If you're a company, yeah, if you're a company looking to, to get in touch with us, that's an easy way to do it. Just go to our website, click on contact us. And there's a submission form with some information. You can attach a, a presentation to that if you want. And then that pops up in, in my inbox and Reese's inbox. And then we, we go from there. So that's, that's probably the easiest ways to get it. Um, or you can find me uh, at the United Club in Newark or O'Hare probably at least once a week. <laughs> nice. Uh, Tom, this was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. 
Uh, appreciate it, Adam. Uh, you got me out of bed early here in San Francisco. So I know, right? I was today. thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, well, he's going to be in Chicago or New York, right? So, you know, he has some hours, but no, he woke up earlier than I did. Yeah, that's that's not a problem. I got a lot of work to do, so uh, excited to, to greet the day and appreciate the opportunity to join you and your listeners for a little bit. No, this was very insightful. I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of value into this. So thank you so much. Great. Glad to help. My pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to episode 119. We have the show notes posted at myfoodjobbox.com slash 119tom, so T-O-M. Today's um, thank you is from Carolyn Cotto, who messaged me on LinkedIn. And I'm just going to, we kind of went into a more of a discussion than anything. So um, she messaged me, hi, Adam, I'm trying to transition into a food career and would love to connect. And then I said, how can I help? And she said, I've really been enjoying your podcast and working my way through the episodes. But I was curious, given your exposure uh, to so many people and so many career paths, what's your advice for someone who would be looking for work in a hands-on capacity, but who doesn't have a culinary or food science degree. And I told her, you have to start from the bottom, so either as a lab technician in a factory or a line cook, and do it for a year or two and work harder than everyone else. Or you can go the entrepreneurship route or go to school. And those are pretty much your options. You do have to try exceptionally hard um, to get to that level. But, you know, everyone starts from the bottom, right? Um, for the entrepreneur route, I advised her to go to farmer's markets and offer to help with the vendors for free. So we'll, we'll see how that works. Um, her final comment was, thank you so much and thanks for the work that you've done on the podcast. It really is a great resource and I found it motivating and very helpful. So thank you, Caroline, for listening. As always, like us on Facebook or leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps other people see that this show is worth listening to. If you have any questions about careers or suggestions on how to improve our stuff, feel free to contact me at podcast at myfoodjarrocks.com or add me on LinkedIn. I've been getting some amazing responses there, and I absolutely love it. Wow, that was a great interview with insights into the food industry which are rarely shared. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Before I go, please like, comment, and subscribe to Baked in Science. Thank you for listening.